Matthew chapter 2, please. Verse 9 through 12 will be our primary passage today. We have been looking at the wise men, the magis, the three kings, however you like to word them. Uh, but we have been looking at them for three weeks already, and this is our fourth Sunday to look at uh, what we can glean from this passage. The wisdom of Christmas. These things didn't come about accidentally. Uh, what we are witnessing in this passage is exactly what the Lord had ordained to happen. Everything worked as planned. And so we're going to look again at the wisdom uh, of our God in the planning of this passage here. We saw in the first two verses a definite purpose for them coming. Uh, the point is we have come to worship Him. We saw in verse uh, 3 through 6 a direct prophecy. They quoted directly from Micah to find out where the Christ was to be born. We saw last week a deceitful proposal. That was Herod's uh, um, contribution to our story. Not a happy sermon at that, but a challenging one. And today we're going to see a determined perseverance in the last handful of verses, 9 through verse number 12. Now, the last couple of weeks I've read to you from different Bible translations. I, I love doing that. First week we used the King James. Second week we used the Legacy Standard Bible. Third week we did the Amplified. And today I'm going to choose one that... Uh, Maybe you don't know anything about. Maybe you've never heard it existed. Uh, it is by Kenneth Weiss. You say, who's that? Well, Kenneth Weiss was born in 1893. He died December 27, 1961. He was born in Chicago, spent most of his life in Chicago, went to Northwestern University, graduated from Moody Bible Institute, uh, also got a degree, a doctorate degree from Wheaton College. He taught at Brooks Bible Institute in St. Louis, Missouri, a very fine Bible college, by the way. And he also taught for many years at the Moody Bible Institute. He knew Greek inside out, and uh, his translation showed it. Matter of fact, one of the first jobs he was given, as far as a translator is concerned, is that he was one of the translators of the New American Standard Bible. Very impressive resume. Uh, he went on to produce his own English translation of the New Testament, and it goes by his name, Weiss Expanded Translation. You're saying, how do you spell that? W-U-E-S-T. He pronounced it Weiss. So I'm going to read to you from his text this morning in Matthew chapter 2. You can follow along in yours. Uh, I think you'll find some of the wording to be really quite fascinating. Now Jesus, having been born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, learned men from the eastern regions, the land of the sun rising, made their way to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising, and we have come to pay homage to him. And the king, Herod, having heard, was stirred up and irritated, and all Jerusalem with him, and gathered together all the chief priests of the people, and the man of the people learned in the sacred scriptures, he went to inquiring of them where the Christ should be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it has been written through the prophet, and is on record, 
And as for you, Bethlehem, land of Judea, by no means are you least among the leaders of Judea, for out of you shall come one who governs such a one as will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, having called the learned men secretly, ascertained accurately from them the length of time since the star's appearance, and sending them to Bethlehem, he said, Having proceeded on your way, conduct an exhaustive and accurate investigation concerning the child. And after you discovered that for which you are seeking, bring back the news to me in order that I also, having come, may render homage to him. And having heard the king, they proceeded on their way. And behold, the star which they saw in its rising kept on going before them, until, having come, it stood above where the young child was. And having seen the star, they rejoiced with great joy exceedingly. And having come into the house, they saw the young child with, young child with Mary, his mother. And having fallen down, they prostrated themselves in homage before him. And having opened their treasure chests, they brought to him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, by another road they, made, they went back to their own country. Heavenly Father, we have read this many, many times in our life. We thank you that you had it recorded for us, that we might read it again today. Lord, as we stop and we reflect on these things, I pray, Lord, that you draw our attention to our Savior, Jesus Christ. For that is who they came to worship, and that is who we have come to worship today. Our Lord Jesus Christ, it is he who has given his life for us. It is he who has made it possible that we might have peace with you. For indeed, he is the Prince of Peace, and what he's accomplished in his death for us and his resurrection is just an amazing thing. Thank you, Lord, for your care and your love for us that you would do such a thing. Today, as we spend this time reflecting on your word, challenge our hearts. Truly warm them, because we're in your presence. and We're learning from your word, and may it drive our hearts directly to your throne today in our worship. And we thank you, Lord, for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we've arrived at our destination here in verse number 9 through 12. There was a purpose for them going forth, a prophecy that they learned of, uh, a proposal that they thankfully didn't take up, and now a determined perseverance. They have arrived The New American Standard reads in those last four verses, After hearing the king, they went on their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. You'll notice something as we have walked our way through this text. You'll notice right away that the wise men did not consider the message delivered when they had seen the king. Some think, well, we went to the top, so what else is there to do? They took it to the king, they told the king, that they were looking for the one who is born king of the Jews. They had the consultation there. 
They had the location given to them, but they didn't stop there and say, message delivered. They didn't stop within that palace and consider their journey complete. They may have thought that speaking to the king, or even speaking to one of the scribes, or even the chief priests themselves, they might have gotten a few traveling companions to go along with them for the rest of that journey. At the very least, Herod could have sent some troops along and escorted them down the road. I think they might have been a little surprised at the response they got. The response of the priest, the response of the scribes, here is the fulfillment of a prophecy that they had seen as God gave it 700 years before. How many times was a scribe or a chief priest in that passage seeing those words, wondering when they would ever take place, and they heard it fulfilled? The wise men, they were following some sort of prophecy, we believe. We don't understand all of where they got their information. Was it Daniel? Was it Balaam? We don't know. But what they had was so less specific than the religious, religious leaders had who had the prophet Micah's actual words and the specific direction for them to go. And you obviously see the contrast, don't you? The message certainly did help the wise men in their direction, but it did nothing for the folks in the palace. They didn't respond. They didn't go look. Matthew Henry in his commentary stated this, concerning those folks in the palace and the fact they didn't go and see the Messiah, if not in conscience, yet in civility to them, or touched with a curiosity to see this young priest. But they had no conscience in this. They had no civility. They had no curiosity. Would you like them to be your religious leader? As I read these things in the Bible, I, I don't want to become like one of these who reads and doesn't respond. I don't want to be like that, do you? That picture is set before us here. But that just sets the scene for us for what we see today. The wise man set in the whole palace scene it's great to read verse 9 and say, and they moved on from there. They went on anyway. They pushed past all that. They were not finished with their quest. It wasn't enough just to lay it before a king or the religious leaders and have them finish it for them. They pushed on. They're now six miles away. Their determined perseverance is quite visible as you read about this. It says in verse 9, and after hearing the king... They went their way. And the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. <laughs> Many have tried to identify this star. You might have seen videos that people have put up of this is the Bethlehem star and all these uh, investigative techniques that people have used to try to track it. Many have tried, even by the star, to identify the wise men which is rather interesting. Uh, they've tried to figure out where they came from by the direction of the star. You know, God left us so little information on this, didn't he? Does it bother you? 
Lord, you should have told us more. At least tell us her name was Gasper and, and who are the other guys? Never mind. God did intentionally leave little information. Now, what we might guess about them, well, you know that uh, Lou Wallace filled in some of the blanks there. You read Ben-Hur, watch the movie. He added a little bit to that. You know, the wise men appear in several parts of the story. As you read along with it, he, Ben-Hur met one of the wise men there while he was testing out the horses that he was going to race. And he met the, the man who owned them. Uh, we find later one of the wise men are at the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, as you track around, it's kind of interesting. As if they just stuck around and followed the life of Christ the entire time. But that's just fiction. We don't have any of that. As to the star itself, it is following a path that's not natural to a star. They see it in the east. They end up going west, we believe. But after it goes to Jerusalem, if you follow a map, it goes south. It goes south and a little bit west from there. Uh, it's interesting, but I believe this was a miraculous star. A miraculous star. Designed by God for this very specific purpose. Don't be surprised by that, by the way. That God is able to design things for specific purposes. Ask Jonah about a whale. It says that God put that whale there at the right time for that purpose. If you also read in the book of Revelation, do you know there were angels created with the sole purpose of holding back the wind until God said, let go? Apparently, they're out there still, still holding it. And probably wondering, I wonder when this is going to happen. But they've been holding it this whole... They've been designed for that one purpose. Now you've got to go find it, don't you? It's in the book of Revelation. God has designed angels just for one purpose. Can you imagine them getting the countdown? He starts counting down and says, Now, let go! And boy, that's what they were there for. I don't know what that's going to be like. We might get to see that too. But I'm not surprised if God created a star. Unique in its day unique in its travel, unique in its purpose. I believe it also is shining by day and not just by night. And so, as I read Baker's commentary on this, his New Testament commentary, I find these words and I think they're really quite good. This, moreover, exactly what makes Matthew's story so beautiful and instructive. Everything else is left out of the picture in order that the full emphasis may be placed on the one thing, namely, we have come to worship him. We are not given a detailed description of the star. We are not told how the Magi connected the star with the birth. We are not told how many Magi there were, how they dressed, how they died, where they were buried. All that and much more is purposely left in the shade in order that against this dark background, the light may shine forth all the more brilliantly. These wise men, whoever they are, wherever they came from, came to worship him. That is what worship ought to look like. In our day today, folks, you probably know, it seems that worship services are designed to glorify the worshiper rather than the one who is to be worshipped. This star led them intentionally to Jerusalem. If you follow its path, it went there first. That's where the wise men walked in on the palace 
They were probably shining by day and by night, and it says that even when they left the palace, the star, which they had seen in the east, was still moving before them. And it stood over. It stopped. Now, there's a unique thing about a star. It stopped. Natural stars follow a course and continue to do so. This star stopped over one place where the child was. And think of it this way as well. Generally, if a star is bright enough to shine down on us, it doesn't just hit one house in the neighborhood. It lights up the whole town. It lights up the whole city. This star stopped over one house. You may think, well, why, why is it necessary for the star to continue to lead them after all? They had been given the prophecy, right? He was to be born in Bethlehem. But what it didn't say was, which house? So they did follow. They did follow. And we give them credit for their determination. But notice something. They're just mere followers. They're following. It is God who led them to that determined place in a determined manner. It's God who wanted them to travel however far they traveled. It was God who wanted them to see this child. It was God who led them. How many times have you seen either on a Christmas card or a little uh, posting on a, a Facebook page or something, wise men still seek him? We think, well, that's pretty neat. It's very, it's very uh, thought-provoking. In our world of theology, folks, it's rather interesting because there are debates and it seems like we always have something to debate about as to whether man seeks God or God seeks man. In Deuteronomy 4, verse 29, it says, from, But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find Him if you search for Him with all your heart and all your soul. In Psalm 27, verse 8, When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, Your face, O Lord, I shall seek. And Matthew 7, 7, which you probably know. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Those are wonderful verses. At the same time, Romans 3 tells us this. In verse 10, it is written, There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. That's a pretty sad commentary, isn't it? He's describing us before we knew the Lord. It's a sad sight. I don't think it goes beyond the text to show that it was God who caused the prophecies to be written in the first place. It was God who created the star. And it was God who was this child in the manger. God is the initiator of our story. All the way through. It was God's determined perseverance to bring them to this place and to this time. God did that. If he hadn't moved, if he hadn't done all this, we would not have a holiday to celebrate, would we? Nor would we have had a Savior. It was God who initiated it all the way through. 
And I know each of us have a story to tell when it comes to how we came to know Jesus as our Savior. I love listening to the different stories. God has a, a unique way, a creative way, of bringing so many of us with different experiences to come and know Him. Some of you have been uh, saved at a very young age. And I rejoice over that. Some people say, but I don't have much of a testimony. Oh, thank the Lord for that. I mean, the reality is what? It's a miracle you're saved. I think that's pretty worth, you know, mentioning. But some people, they're much older in life before they came to know the Lord. The Lord took them through some pretty incredible events to draw their attention to Him. And I love listening to all those different stories. But we do have one thing in common. No matter how you tell the story, first it is, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Who initiated it? He did. We also have understood that as God is the initiator of all, He determined to send His Son. Do you realize even before the world was created? That astounds me. You'll find that in Scripture. God had this plan long before this world had even existed. Before man had even sinned, God had the plan. Before you were born, God had the plan. Our Savior came nearly 2,000 years before this day today. So when you cut it up and match it up and think it through, no matter what, our faith is anchored to something God had done in the past. God has already accomplished. His message is not hidden for man to see, is it? It's out there. It's present. Certain, sin certainly has a way of putting blinders on us. We, we know that Satan himself loves to blind the eyes of men so that they may not see the glory of the gospel. Yet God has determined that we should seek Him, that we should know Him, that we should follow Him. I don't think we would be comfortable not seeking Him. There's a, a famous uh, confession by St. Augustine. It reads this way, and you're going to recognize especially the end. Great are you, O Lord, and exceedingly worthy of praise. Your power is immense, your wisdom beyond reckoning. And so we men who are due a part of your creation long to praise you. We also carry our mortality about with us, carry the evidence of our sin, and with it the proof that you thwart the proud, you arouse us so that praising you may bring us joy. Because you have made us and drawn us to yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. I'm very glad to give God the glory for all this. When I get up in heaven, I'm not going to stand up and take 1% of that glory from Him. He deserves it all. He did it all. And that's important to me. I hope it's important to you. Because I don't know what drives your determination to worship Christ. I speak for myself here. He saved me. He loves me. He's forgiven me, and He's redeemed me, and He has restored me, and He has guided me, and He's taught me, and He has nurtured me, setting aside all the other things yet still in store for me. 
I am quite satisfied to say, to say, I'm determined to seek him because he sought me first. It's real simple, folks. I only love because he first loved me. He first loved me. Knowing why you seek him is important. It is one of the great purposes in life, I believe, to know him and to serve him. Why do you seek him out? What are you determined in your heart about a day like today? It says here, as I read verse number 10 in the passage, the, the wise men responded when they saw again God's leading star. I love to read this. I love to translate it, actually. I laugh it, at it. I mean, it's just funny sounding to me. When they saw the star, it says in verse number 10, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Now, let's break that apart just for a minute. You're going to find this fun. They didn't just rejoice. Because that would mean full of cheer. But they rejoiced exceedingly. That adverb is added to it. Spadra. S-P-H-O-D-R-A. Spadra. Spadra. I think is how you say it. Here's the way it translates. It means excessive. And it means violent. You're going to have fun. You ready? They rejoiced deeply, very much, exceedingly, extremely, greatly, very. This is the same word, by the way, used when the disciples found out that Jesus, he had just announced that he was going to die. And that's how it affected their heart. They were deeply, it says, deeply moved. When Jesus announced that one of them was a betrayer, this is the word added to their thoughts. How deeply they responded to that. You remember how quickly they spoke up. No, no, no. Or, is it I? Is it I? And they got all worked up about it so quickly. When they heard that it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, remember their phrase? Then, Lord, who can be saved? That's the same word associated with their thoughts as they said that phrase. More times than not, that word is used in a negative expression. There's about ten times it's used in Scripture, and almost every time it's a negative expression, except this passage. When they rejoiced exceedingly, that word is right there. Now hold on to that, the idea of excessive, and then keep going. It's not just rejoiced exceedingly, but it says they did it with great joy, right? The word great is megas. We like that word, mega. Do you always buy the mega packages of things? you got a big enough car, you always carry around those big ones. It means great, it means abundant. In all the more, it's big, it's huge, it's large. It lasts for a long time. I like this. It's loud. It's mighty. So they rejoiced exceedingly with a loud, mighty, long, calm delight. That's the word for joy. I don't know how all those fit together, but it sounds great, doesn't it? Flannel graph people have a terrible time trying to picture this. Because they, how do you put all that emotion and stress and activity into such a word? It's so full of life, and then it's just a calm delight. It's just an interesting thing. I, I think that 
as much as we tried to express this, I think just the scene of announcing ice cream to a group of four-year-olds might just fit the response of the wise men. One commentator said they were literally jumping for joy. And that's usually not the picture we give with these dignified king-like people. But I just love the phrase. And I want to ask you something. How do you respond to the Lord's word? How do you respond to his direction he gives to you? How do you respond to a Savior born for you? They're just responding to a star. And they marveled at what God had done. And they couldn't contain their excitement. None of the passages show that the wise men snuck into Bethlehem. In all likelihood, it came with a bunch of noise and probably a great deal of excitement. You know, the travelers have just reached their destination. The one they had been thinking about and looking for, they were about to see. How do you think they felt? They didn't pause to give a spot on the local network news. They didn't seek out the mayor of Bethlehem. They went to the house, and they found the child, and they fell to the ground, (laughs) first thing. Fell to the ground, and they worshipped him. That is a deliberate perseverance. Remember, the center of this whole story is the Savior, not the trappings around it. It wasn't about Jerusalem. It wasn't even about the town of Bethlehem. It was about the Savior. It wasn't about the star, because the star turned off, apparently. They didn't have it anymore. But they didn't worry about that, did they? It was the Savior they came to seek. It doesn't even matter what day it was. We don't know what day it was. We celebrate it on this day because we need a day to celebrate it. Whether it's this day or another day, I, I, I don't listen to the debate so much because I like the fact we have a day that we worship our Savior and thank Him for coming in the first place. That's what I like about Christmas. I don't need the gifts. I don't need the tree. I don't need the music, so I like them. I don't need all those things, and I'm not belittling the festivities. It's a beautiful way to, pro- to, to proclaim the message. I love that. But it's all about worshiping Him, isn't it? It's all about worshiping Him. I believe God has made us to be worshipers. And especially worshipers of Him. Too often, and maybe just for too long... We've had someone or something in place of him. But if you know him today, be thankful that he brought you to himself. Where would we be if God hadn't initiated all these things? Where would we be? He broke our chains, we say. He tore open the cell doors. He brought us out of the night. He put us into his light. He has set us free. He's given to us a name. He's given us the right to be called the children of God. He has given to us a place in heaven. He has given to us eternal life in Jesus Christ. Shouldn't we of all people be determined to give Him praise? Shouldn't that be what we will persevere in? If all our stories can be combined and all our journeys be put together, as different as they are, 
They all should lead to one place, and that is at the foot of Jesus Christ. That's what we're here for, to worship him, to serve him, to love him. There's a Christmas song that we've sung so many times about the angels from the realms of glory. If you go through the core, or the verses of that, the first verse, it's the angels really calling you out to come and worship. And then the second verse, the shepherds are calling out, come and worship. In the third verse, it's the sages calling out, come and worship. And then at the very end, it's the saints. And some people say it might be people in heaven or maybe it's uh, angels. We don't know. But the saints are calling out to see you come and worship. The chorus is the same in all the cases. Come and worship. Come and worship. Worship Christ, the newborn king. I love the destination. I love their determination to get there. They could have been easily sidetracked by Herod. They could have been discouraged along the way. They could have thought, this, this, there's this star, is it really real? They could have doubted. There's a lot of things that could have happened. But the text says what did happen. And they came into the house and they saw him and they fell down and worshipped him. Today, I hope that you've carved out a spot in your day to worship him. I hope that tomorrow you do as well. I found a very interesting thing I was reading the other day. In Genesis chapter 49 verse 10, it talked about the scepter shall not depart from Judah. In the last phrase it says, when Shiloh comes. I said, Shiloh? You look at that word and you find something interesting. There's on one side, it's the one who is sent. It's related to the word for Messiah, actually, the sent one. Until Shiloh comes. But on the other side, it has another word it's related to, and it is related to the word for peace. And what a perfect combination that is. Christ is our peace. He is our peace. He has made that avenue between us and our God possible, for He is our peace. And He's given us such beautiful peace. And it doesn't need to have the, the right atmosphere to make it. You don't have to have soft lights and pretty trees. You don't have to have candles. You don't have to have beautiful music playing softly in the background. You need a Savior. That's who you've come to seek. That's who you've come to worship. A Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our peace. Is He your peace today? That's not just for a holiday, folks. That's every day we need Him. Is He your peace? Do you know that Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior? I want you to understand that that's important. That's a big question. We raise it again to you today. Do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? That's why He came to save you. That's what the angel said. The city of David, a Savior is born, who is Christ the Lord. A Savior is a great thing. My Savior is a fantastic thing. Change one little word in front of it and put the word my. Can you do it? My Savior. For we need saved. The scripture says, as I already read from Romans chapter 3 a little bit, there's no hope for us otherwise. 
For all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us are sinful beings. We need a Savior. That's why Jesus Christ came. That's why he came. God, determined in his love, demonstrated that love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you know him? Do you know him? Don't let this day go by. Don't even let this service go by. If you don't know him, make it right today. Talk to him. He is so eager to bring salvation to you. That's why he came and lived. That's why he died. You think he's going to hold that back? It says, call upon my name and you shall be saved. You can talk to him right now. Even while I'm talking, believe it or not. You can talk to the Lord Jesus Christ right now. You can know him as your Savior. I hope everybody leaving this building today has that settled in their heart. That's who we worship today, folks. And that's our determined purpose, isn't it? Our purpose and our perseverance is tied to a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know him? Heavenly Father, we bow before you today. So thankful for what you have done. So thankful that you sent your son. So thankful that you loved us even while we did not deserve that. You loved us. You gave. At the right time our Savior was born. At the right place you put him in that house. At the right time the Magi appeared. You led all these things, Lord. You orchestrated every single bit of it to show us that you care about us too. That your design is at work. And what you do is marvelous. You deserve the worship and praise today. There's no doubt about that. As we humble our hearts, as we look again at this story, this Christmas story, we thank you, Lord, for what you have done. Our Lord Jesus Christ, for taking on flesh and dwelling among us. For, for walking among people like us. To see the sin that was destroying our lives. Destroying our relationship with the Father. Destroying our futures forever. And you did something about it. You took our place on a cross. I praise you, Lord Jesus, for saving my soul. There are so many here who echo that same thing. We thank you for that. And if there's anyone here today, Lord, you're the only one who can save. Draw them to yourself right now. If they need to know the Savior, show them that you're their Savior. That you will save them if they call upon your name. Lord, do your work in our midst. Change our heart forever, we pray. And for those of us whose hearts have been changed, whose life direction is now going to the Father. Someday we'll see Jesus Christ himself, and we too will fall down and worship him there. May our knees be ready. May our tongues be loose. May this day just be practice in worshiping you, Lord. We long for the day when we shall see you, and we hope it's soon. But until then, we will be determined to praise you, to worship you, to rejoice in what you have done. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen.